Today I'll be reading the opinion of the court in Great Lakes Insurance SE, the Raiders Retreat Realty Company, LLC. Decided February 21st, 2024. Justice Kavanaugh delivered the opinion for a unanimous court. Maritime contracts often contain choice of law provisions that designate the law of a particular jurisdiction to control future disputes. The enforceability of those choice of law provisions is governed by federal maritime law. Applying federal maritime law in this case, we conclude that choice of law provisions in maritime contracts are presumptively enforceable, with certain narrow exceptions not applicable here. Part 1 To insure its boat, Raiders Retreat Realty, a Pennsylvania business, purchased a policy from Great Lakes Insurance a company organized in Germany and headquartered in the United Kingdom. The insurance contract included a choice of law provision that, as relevant here, selected New York law to govern future disputes between the parties. Years later, Raider's boat ran aground near Fort Lauderdale, Florida. After Raiders submitted an insurance claim, Great Lakes denied coverage. Great Lakes asserted that Raiders breached the insurance contract by failing to maintain the boat's fire suppression system. According to Great Lakes, the breach voided the insurance contract in its entirety, even though the boat's fire suppression system did not contribute to the accident. Great Lakes sued Raiders for declaratory relief in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Great Lakes alleged that Raiders breached the insurance contract and that the breach allowed Great Lakes to deny insurance coverage. In response, Raiders advanced contract claims under Pennsylvania law. Great Lakes countered that Pennsylvania law did not apply to this dispute. Rather, New York law applied under the choice of law provision in the party's insurance contract. The district court agreed with Great Lakes. The court reasoned that federal maritime law regards choice of law provisions as presumptively valid and enforceable. The court therefore enforced the party's choice of law provision and rejected Raiders' Pennsylvania law contract claims. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit vacated that judgment. The Court of Appeals held that choice of law provisions in maritime contracts are presumptively enforceable as a matter of federal maritime law, but nonetheless must yield to a strong public policy of the state in which suit is brought. Here, Pennsylvania's public policy regarding insurance. The court remanded for the district court to consider whether applying New York contract law here would violate Pennsylvania's public policy and whether Pennsylvania law, therefore, should apply. This court granted certiorari to resolve a split in the courts of appeals regarding the enforceability 
of choice of law provisions in maritime contracts. Part 2 Under the Constitution, federal courts possess authority to create and apply maritime law. Article 3 of the Constitution extends the federal judicial power to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. That grant of jurisdiction contemplates a system of maritime law coextensive with and operating uniformly in the whole country. The purposes of that uniform system include promoting the great interests of navigation and commerce and maintaining the United States diplomatic relations. To maintain that uniform system, federal courts make decisional law for maritime cases. When a federal court decides a maritime case, it acts as a federal common law court, much as state courts do in state common law cases. Subject to direction from Congress, the federal courts fashion maritime rules based on, among other sources, judicial opinions, legislation, treatises, and scholarly writings. Exercising that authority, federal courts follow previously established maritime rules. No bright line exists for determining when a federal maritime rule is established, but a body of judicial decisions can suffice. In the absence of an established rule, federal courts may create uniform maritime rules. When no established rule exists, and when the federal courts decline to create a new rule, federal courts apply state law. For purposes of this general overview, we will stop there, as the issue of federalism in admiralty and the scope of application of state law in maritime cases is one of the most perplexing issues in the law. Section A. The initial question here is whether there is an established federal maritime rule regarding the enforceability of choice of law provisions. The answer is yes. Long-standing precedent establishes a federal maritime rule. Choice of law provisions in maritime contracts are presumptively enforceable. As a leading treatise says, it is well established in admiralty that choice of law clauses will normally be enforced. Courts of appeals have consistently decided that choice of law provisions in maritime contracts are presumptively enforceable as a matter of federal maritime law. Although no recent case of this court has addressed the issue, the court has traditionally enforced choice of law provisions in maritime contracts. The court has recognized, for example, that the parties to a maritime contract may select the governing law by clearly manifesting an intent to follow that law when entering into the contract. The court has stated that it is no injustice to resolve disputes under the law that parties have agreed to be bound by. As the court further opined in 1953, except as forbidden by some public policy, 
the tendency of the law is to apply in contract matters the law which the parties intended to apply. The court's traditional enforcement of choice of law provisions in maritime contracts corresponds to the court's precedence in the analogous forum selection context. The court has pronounced that forum selection clauses in maritime contracts are prima facie valid under federal maritime law and should be enforced unless doing so would be unreasonable under the circumstances. Like choice of law provisions, forum selection clauses respect ancient concepts of freedom of contract. And like choice of law provisions, forum selection clauses have the salutary effect of dispelling any confusion on the manner for resolving future disputes, thereby slashing the time and expense of pretrial motions. For those reasons, as courts of appeals have explained, this court's decisions in Bremen v. Zapata, 1972, and Carnival Cruise Lines v. Schutt, 1991, on the enforceability of form selection clauses dictate the same conclusion for choice of law provisions. That is especially true given that courts historically have expressed more skepticism of form selection clauses than of choice of law clauses because form selection clauses can force parties to litigate in inconvenient places. As courts and commentators have recognized, the presumption of enforceability for choice of law provisions in maritime contracts facilitates maritime commerce by reducing uncertainty and lowering costs for maritime actors. Maritime commerce traverses interstate and international boundaries, so when a maritime accident or dispute occurs, time-consuming and difficult questions can arise about which law governs. Choice of law provisions reduce legal uncertainty. By identifying the governing law in advance, choice of law provisions allow parties to avoid later disputes, as well as ensuing litigation and its attendant costs. Choice of law provisions also discourage forum shopping, further cutting the costs of litigation. Moreover, by supplying some advance assurance about the governing law, Choice of law provisions help maritime shippers decide on the front end what precautions to take on their boats and enable marine insurers to better assess risk. Choice of law provisions therefore can lower the price and expand the availability of marine insurance. In those ways, choice of law provisions advance a fundamental purpose of federal maritime law the protection of maritime commerce. Section B. Raiders argues that no established federal maritime rule governs the enforceability of choice of law provisions, and it further contends that federal courts should assess those provisions under state law. Raiders does not specify whether it thinks that federal maritime law should incorporate state law on this issue, 
or instead that state law is not preempted by federal maritime law and applies of its own force. In any event, Raiders argues that this court's 1955 decision in Wilburn Boat Company v. Fireman's Fund Insurance precludes a uniform federal presumption of enforceability for choice-of-law provisions in maritime contracts. But that case did not involve a choice-of-law provision. Rather, the Wilburn Boat Court simply determined what substantive rule applied when a party breached a warranty in a marine insurance contract. The court concluded that no established federal admiralty rule governed the warranty issue, and the court declined to create a federal maritime rule on that question, both because states historically regulated insurance and because federal courts were poorly positioned to unify insurance law on a nationwide basis. The court therefore ordered that the warranty issue be tried under appropriate state law. Great Lakes contends that Wilburn Boat's reliance on state law is in tension with the court's modern maritime jurisprudence, which tends to place greater emphasis on the need for uniformity in maritime law. But here, we need not resolve any such tension because Wilburn Boat does not control the analysis of choice-of-law provisions in maritime contracts. To reiterate, Wilburn Boat did not involve a choice-of-law provision, and the case therefore affords limited guidance on that distinct issue. Moreover, Wilburn Boat held only that state law applied as a gap-filler in the absence of a uniform federal maritime rule on a warranty issue. Here, however, no gap exists because a uniform federal rule governs the enforceability of choice-of-law clauses in maritime contracts. In addition, Wilburn Boat rested in part on the difficulty of creating substantive maritime insurance law from scratch through case-by-case adjudication. That concern is absent when the question is whether the parties may choose the governing law to apply. Wilburn Boat also cited states' traditional responsibility for regulating insurance. But preserving that responsibility does not speak to which state law applies in a given case, which is what a choice of law provision addresses. Finally, Wilburn Boat did not prevent this court in the Bremen and Carnival Cruise from concluding as a matter of federal maritime law that forum selection clauses are presumptively enforceable. For all of those reasons, Wilburn Boat does not preclude a uniform federal presumption of enforceability for choice-of-law provisions in maritime contracts. Raiders suggest that even if federal maritime law presumes the enforceability of choice-of-law provisions in maritime contracts, Wilburn Boat recognized a kind of insurance exceptionalism where this court will apply state law in marine insurance cases. We disagree. Nothing in Wilburn Boat purports to override parties' choice-of-law clauses in maritime contracts generally, 
or in the subset of marine insurance contracts specifically. Moreover, in the forum selection context, Brayman and Carnival Cruise apply to marine insurance contracts as well as to other maritime contracts. We discern no good reason for a different rule in the choice of law context. Indeed, the uniformity and predictability resulting from choice of law provisions are especially important for marine insurance contracts given that marine insurance is an integral part of virtually every maritime transaction and maritime commerce is a vital part of the nation's economy. In applying maritime rules, we also may assess whether our decision produces an equitable result. In considering Rader's argument for applying state law, it bears recalling Wilburn Boat's aftermath in maritime law and the maritime industry. After Wilburn Boat, maritime actors realized that a lot would depend on which state's law governed each individual maritime dispute, a question that would be unclear in advance. Choice of law provisions soon emerged as a ready answer to that problem. And particularly since the Brayman resolved the analogous form selection issue in 1972, most maritime actors have justifiably believed that choice of law provisions are presumptively enforceable as a matter of federal maritime law. That widespread understanding is correct, and Raider's argument for disrupting that long-standing consensus is essentially a solution in search of a problem. The bottom line? As a matter of federal maritime law, choice of law provisions in maritime contracts are presumptively enforceable. Part 3 of course, to say that choice-of-law clauses are presumptively enforceable as a matter of federal maritime law means that there are exceptions when the clauses are not enforceable. The parties agree that the exceptions are narrow. Indeed, Raiders freely concedes that in most every instance, a choice-of-law provision contained in a maritime insurance contract will be effective. In particular, the parties agree that courts should disregard choice-of-law clauses in otherwise valid maritime contracts when the chosen law would contravene a controlling federal statute or conflict with an established federal maritime policy. For example, the Kensington 1902 declined to enforce a choice-of-law clause because the chosen law would have released a carrier from liability for negligence, a result that federal maritime law forbids. The parties further agree that, as a matter of federal maritime law, courts may disregard choice-of-law clauses when parties can furnish no reasonable basis for the chosen jurisdiction. For example, it would be unreasonable to pick the law of a distant foreign country without some rational basis for doing so. That said, 
the no reasonable basis exception must be applied with substantial deference to the contracting parties, recognizing that maritime actors may sometimes choose the law of a specific jurisdiction because, for example, that jurisdiction's law is well-developed, well-known, and well-regarded. Raiders does not claim that either of those exceptions applies here. To be specific, Raiders does not assert that any federal statute or established federal maritime policy precludes enforcing the party's choice of law provision, and Raiders does not claim that the party's choice of New York's well-known and highly elaborated commercial law was unreasonable. Unable to successfully invoke those exceptions, Raiders says that federal maritime law should recognize an additional exception when enforcing the law of the state designated by the contract would contravene the fundamental public policy of the state with the greatest interest in the dispute. We disagree with that argument. Indeed, Raiders' request for that novel maritime exception is essentially a repackaged version of its initial argument that the enforceability of choice-of-law provisions in maritime contracts should be determined by state law. The argument fares no better here, for essentially the same reasons. A federal presumption of enforceability would not be much of a presumption if it could be routinely swept aside based on 50 states' public policy determinations. The ensuing disuniformity and uncertainty caused by such an approach would undermine the fundamental purpose of choice-of-law clauses in maritime contracts, uniform and stable rules for maritime actors. Raiders' proposed exception also lacks historical roots. This court has never discarded a choice-of-law provision in a maritime contract on the ground that enforcement of the choice-of-law provision would violate state law. On the contrary, the court has enforced those clauses without so much as mentioning state law. Nor has the court looked to state law in the analogous forum selection context. Raiders points to a sentence in Bremen stating that a contractual choice of forum clause should be held unenforceable if enforcement would contravene a strong public policy of the forum in which suit is brought. But that sentence, read in context, was referring to the possibility of a conflict between federal maritime law and a foreign country's law, their England's. State law was not relevant to the case. Bremen said nothing about the law or public policy of Florida. Carnival Cruise likewise said nothing about the law or public policy of Washington. Raiders' position similarly finds no footing in the decision of the Courts of Appeals. The opinion of the Third Circuit in this case is the first by a federal court of appeals to hold that a state's strong public policy 
may justify disregarding a maritime choice-of-law clause. The lack of case law supporting Raiders' state law argument comes as no surprise, given that Raiders' position would merely allow the substitution of one body of state law, the law of the state with the purported greatest interest in the matter, for another, the law of the state designated by a choice-of-law provision. As Raiders seems to acknowledge, federal maritime law offers no reason to categorically prefer the law of one state over another state. Here, for example, no federal maritime interest supports applying Pennsylvania law rather than New York law. For the same reasons, we disagree with Raider's related suggestion that we adopt the choice-of-law approach set forth in Section 1872B of the Second Restatement of Conflict of Laws. In relevant part, that subsection says that choice-of-law provisions are enforceable unless they conflict with a fundamental policy of a state which has a materially greater interest than the chosen state in the determination of the particular issue. As the commentary to the restatement carefully explains, however, that rule arose out of interstate cases and does not deal directly with federal-state conflicts, including those that arise in federal enclaves like maritime law. For reasons already stated, that restatement rule is a poor fit for maritime cases. It would operate like a general exception for state law that would prevent maritime actors from prospectively identifying the law to govern future disputes. The Section 1872B exception would require parties to litigate which state possesses the materially greater interest in the dispute and thereby create significant uncertainty. As explained above, no federal maritime interests favors injecting that kind of disuniformity and unpredictability into maritime commerce. We therefore decline to adopt Section 1872B for federal maritime law. In sum, choice of law provisions in maritime contracts are presumptively enforceable as a matter of federal maritime law, with certain narrow exceptions, and no exception to the presumption applies in this case. We reverse the judgment of the Court of Appeals. It is so ordered. We've come to the end of this opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.